Welcome to Equiosity, our podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of Clicker Training for Your Horse and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. After our recent podcasts with Sarah Owings, Dominique and I had another long conversation about cues. Dominique was particularly interested in some comments that I made at the end of the last podcast with Sarah. I was talking about anticipation and the get ready, get set, go way in which cues evolve and can change over time. We began by talking about how you can either push against some what are very natural tendencies or you can learn to use them. An example would be transforming grass from what is to our horses, nothing but a huge and wonderful temptation, and to us is a major distraction, how we can transform the grass into a reinforcer so both our horses and we are happy. So this then led to a discussion of rope handling, and we're gonna pick up again where we left off in this discussion of cues, lightness, and the use of the lead as a communication tool. Things change as relationships develop and build, and and so what is appropriate and correct under one set of circumstances as things evolve and change will no longer be needed as time goes on. But if someone wants to go that route, you know, they want to teach a cue and they want their horse to become lighter and lighter and lighter. And there's a point where they think, well, in this context, this is where I'd like it to be. You know what this makes me think of is when we hit glass ceilings when we don't want them, you know, because we have over-reinforced something. Right. And we can't move past anymore because we have reinforced it so often. Right. So sometimes you may want to, in a way, hit that glass ceiling with a certain cue in a certain context. So in, in this case, we have no glass ceiling. You know, there's not there's nothing... It's like we're, we're a helium balloon that's just going up in the air with nothing to stop it. Right. And at some point, you'll be so far off the ground that you're going to be saying, oh, this is making me a little nervous. You know, yeah. somebody... Th- I want to stop it now. Yeah, yeah. Um, throw me an anchor. So what do you do yourself when you want to stop it? When you want to anchor it, stabilize it? Right. So this goes back to... How do we teach cues? We teach them in pairs, Mm -hmm. right? So for every behavior you teach, there's an opposite behavior you must teach to keep things in balance. And so this whole discussion uh, that we've been having recently with Sarah Owings and and that the reason that I had the Clicker Expo presentation on cues evolve out of the shaping process is that it's not just that cues evolve out of the shaping process, but that what we're trying to do is avoid the use of extinction, the macro use of extinction. So, you know, that original way of teaching cues mm-hmm. where you you attached a cue to a behavior and then uh, when you 
didn't give the cue if the animal, if your learner presented the behavior, you would not reinforce and now you're into an extinction process. And an extinction is associated with a lot of frustration and you can get really angry when you go through an extinction process. And it's not pleasant. It's not pleasant for the learner. And it's certainly, from my perspective as the teacher, it makes me really uncomfortable to be in a macro kind of extinction process. So it's something that I want to avoid. And so I tend to, I teach cues in pairs or to expand it, I'll teach it. To, to, make, it, to make it really clear. Right, I'll really teach it. Really black and white. Yeah, I'll have a base position and then the, the the two opposing. So it's like four on the floor, left and right. You know, I've got, let's go to neutral and then bend to the left, bend to the right. Or let's have four on the floor and you can pick up your left foot or your right foot. But that middle stabilizes everything. So if we're teaching in pairs, then I can, as I slide down that lead rope, so again, let's imagine that we're working together and you're starting to anticipate. Well, I can slide down the lead rope and as you shift, begin to shift back, I can use my balance and I can use the, the redirecting power of the lead rope to just shift your balance back to neutral which basically is saying, wait. And I'll click and reinforce that. You waited for me. This is perfect. I'll click and reinforce that. And then I'll slide down again, and I'll go to that neutral, wherever I'm placing it, and I'll reinforce you for waiting. And then I'll slide down again to that neutral, and I'll reinforce it. And then I will put that little shift of intent which is the get set and the second little shift of intent which is the go and as you the get ready yeah yes yeah, so i've got get ready oh the first is get ready yes yeah, sorry <laughs> yeah you're really you know you're kind of waiting there's wait there yep so it's i want you to wait now there's this shift go ahead and yep. and do what you understand so clearly, which is take that step back. So you can adjust it. You can, you can turn the volume up and down as needed. So for different exercises, uh, there are times where I want to be working my horses where there's a belly, the belly of the rope. You know, I'm just working on the slack of the rope and not up near the, the snap. And so I will adjust where I want them to be responding to the cues. And then there are other times where I may be sliding all the way up towards the snap to the halter, or if I'm working in with a head stall, so I'm working in reins, it's like the classical working hand, I'm going to be right up next to, with my, again, if I'm on the left side, my left hand will be right next to the horse's mouth. So I'll be in close. And those points where I'm going to be saying, uh, will you allow me, is it, is it okay for you, for me to have a conversation where I'm in that close? And it's kind of like, can we have a waltz together 
where the two partners are held together really closely? Or is it a country line dance, you know, the old-fashioned square dancing where there's a lot of distance between the partners? And it just depends on what kind of dance you want where you set these cues. Right. But even, even during the process of one exercise, you're still... Um, your your cue is evolving during. I mean, you have all these different cues on a rope. It's constantly yeah. evolving, right? It's constantly changing. So you know because because we're in conversation and and so if I'm doing my job right, really, you know, if I'm being clear in my communication and I'm being reinforcing, my horse should begin and and I'm asking for something that that my horse is comfortable doing, understands what I'm asking, all of those things. He should be saying, oh, I know the answer. Let me anticipate. Everything is always evolving. I remember years and years ago, long before I stumbled across clicker training, when I was just really trying to figure out riding basics. And I was, uh, I was, exploring an exercise that I really love. I sort of refer to it as the what happens if game. So you're riding along and you think, all right, what does, what response do I get from my horse? What change, what if, what if anything changes if I fill in the blank, if I put my right shoulder forward, if I put my right shoulder back, if I take a breath, you know, you're trying to isolate different body parts. So I was thinking, what happens, what what response do I get if I put my shoulders back slightly? Lo and behold, my horse softened into a gorgeous halt. It was beautiful. And I thought, wow, that's really cool. And so I, we rode off again and I put the same thought and I got this beautiful halt. None of the, you know, closing my hand, pulling back on the lead, none of the, you know, the that early, what so many people are taught, you know, you pull back on the lead to make them stop, you kick to make them go, all of that stuff, you know, none, nothing like that. It was just, oh, I just think about my shoulders breathing back and down, and my horse is stopping. And then I would thought, another little thought about something in my hips or my shoulders, and I got this beautiful, effortless turn. I was up in the stratosphere. I have learned how to ride. This is amazing. I can hardly, you know, it was just, it was one of those rides that I just, it just kept me floating all day because it was so soft. It was so... uh, Well, it's also very much in the mindset of uh, what you've been describing rather than say, how can I make my horse do this and this with the cues that I've been given, you were, you were asking the question, what will my horse pick up? Yeah. What if I do this, what is he going to think about this? How is he going to react? Yeah. And it might not have been what I was expecting, but that doesn't really matter. It's like, Oh, this produced that result. Well, exactly. Because every, since, you know, you've been explaining to us your, your way of teaching cues and your mindset, what you're saying to us is that 
you, the alert the the handler has to be good at no, noticing what the horses are picking up as cues right but the interesting part came the following day okay so i'm up in the stratosphere i just i mean i literally was floating all day long mm. it was such an amazing ride and you have those i'm, I'm sure lots of people listening to this will, will really relate to this where you have just a really good ride and it sets you up for the entire rest of the day. You shouldn't ride after that ever. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, you know, exactly. There's and, always and that it's a, coming down afterwards. Yeah, and and it's part of, you know, it's it's sort of the mental health part of having horses. It's what keeps <laughs> us sane and healthy in, in terms of, right. though, though I think for the most part, those of us who have horses are slightly insane, but that's another that's another whole podcast. But in any event, the next day I came, I, I got on and I was so excited to, to now that I had, I understood how to, I knew how to ride. <laughs> and, and I repeated what had worked so beautifully the day before and it didn't work <laughs> because I wasn't riding the horse I was riding the day before. Mm. I was riding today's horse mm-hmm. who had also had an amazing experience and who had evolved and learned and changed as a result of that experience. And I had, in this game of what happens if, I had to reset mm. to today's horse. That was, extru- that was just a huge aha for me in terms of these are not fixed in stone static cues. These are... This is a dynamic conversation. I can alter it. I can turn the volume up and down, but I'm working with a living being who is going to change, evolve with me Mm -hmm. as a resulting part of the experiences that we have together. And I I need to allow for that evolution, that change, and to be adjusting always to to the effect that our time together has uh, one on the other. And again, if I'm not, it, it goes back to what I was talking about at the very, very beginning. I can fight that mm-hmm. or I can use it. And how have you trained yourself to become better at that? Do you have... Like this question you asked is certainly something I would keep in my toolbox. What happens if? Do you have any other things you did to train yourself to become better at noticing, you know, what the horses are picking up? Well, one of the things I did, I had a client who was an Alexander practitioner who had also studied the Feldenkrais work, and we did trades. So I worked on her horse. I worked with her with her horse. And she worked with me with the Feldenkrais and the Alexander work. And then I was, every day, I was doing some form of body awareness type of, I I hate calling them exercise, because we always think of, you know, like push-ups for fitness. But that's not really what this is about. But it was this, this exploration of balance that allows you to be more aware of how you are moving, more aware of your own balance, more aware of where there is 
places that are stuck and interfering with good movement and where things flow more more easily. And so that's just been part of, it was part of my routine and it got reinforced because I would feel a difference when I wrote. So if I'm, if I was busy and I missed a day or two or three and then I rode, I would feel a difference in the horses. And I particularly felt that riding the Icelandics because they're gated. You're, the, the, the nuance that you get trying to, to figure out all the, the gates of, um, when you're working with gated horses is, is really fun. And, and the feedback that they gave me in terms of, oh, we know what you missed out doing this morning. <laughs> because that was important to me. That reinforced it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, an, it's a big part. It's been really interesting working with the goats. I knew I'd get, I'd get to sneak them in somehow. So the horse's body is really remarkable because our spine reflects so accurately, I think, the horse's spine. So when we put our, when we shorten the back of our neck, we can feel it hollowing our lower back. In other words, we're, we're, we're becoming inverted. And it's very similar to what we see when a horse lifts its head way up, they become inverted. And the kind of telescoping up and out that we so love when we look at a horse who's moving beautifully, who's very who's who's engaged and round and and really moving well, not compressed and shortened, but where you really get that that telescoping up and out that comes from the hind end and the engagement of the abdominal muscles. Well, we our spine does the same thing. It's so remarkable how as a biped that we can explore so directly how this quadruped uses its body. But if we were riding goats, it would be completely different. Because the goat is a browsing animal, their spines, the way they their necks come out of their shoulders and the way that their spine works totally different from the horses. Totally different. How so? How do they, how do they, they're, how does it come out? They're more upright. So their neck is more, think of, you know, if you were drawing a silhouette of a goat, it would have more of a, of an L. It's more up out of the shoulders rather than that lovely arc that the horses do. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, goats graze by, you know, that we go up every night up into the upper pastures together and they definitely have their heads down grazing, but they are browsers. So it's a, it's a different way of using their bodies than the horses have. So we can, we can exp- the point of this is that we can, by exploring our own balance, we can come to understand the horse's balance so much better. It helps us to see and to understand what it is that we are looking for. Because certainly, particularly when you are just beginning to start a behavior, you're working on the initiation of movement. That, that's one of the things that, we, that I stress over and over again. So for example, when you're teaching the horse the runway lesson and you want the horse to go down to the 
you're teaching the horse to, to stand on mats. And as a preparation for that, mm-hmm. you're working on teaching the horse to take one step forward or one step back. You're working on the initiation of movement. So you are clicking and releasing, if you're working on the lead, you're clicking and releasing as the horse begins to shift his balance and take a step. You're not working on the point in the movement cycle where the horse has has landed. And that's that's really important. And that, that again, is a place of, do you know where the get ready, get set, go is? Where are you placing it? And when you look at, and this is another whole topic, which probably we should do another day, but when you're looking at a movement cycle, where in that movement cycle are you putting your focus? Where in the movement cycle are you going to land your your marker signal. So they're all tied up together in terms of knowing that these things can be can be moved around. It's not something that is set in stone of this is the one and right answer. It's a wonderfully flexible system. And what's really interesting is it's wonderfully flexible in a way that does not generate frustration. So you're not you when it's done well, you don't have the horse saying, well, yesterday, you know, yesterday I was I was supposed to wait until you got all the way down to the snap, and that should be the right answer for the rest of my life. It's not like that at all. But that's the challenge because you, we always say we want the, our animals, the purpose of training is to give clarity to the animal and make sure the communication is clear but what you've taught us is that they are communicating to us too, and we ourselves too have to try and be clear on what they're trying to communicate to us. Right, and to think of it as a process. And, and I want to ask you some examples of things that horses maybe have picked up as a cue that have made you smile or that have surprised you. Or can you think of examples over the years of because you must have become quite good at noticing what the horses are picking up, given the, the fact that you're working right. in this mindset of cues evolve out of the shaping process. It's a two-way communication. So I'm sure there have been time where you thought, oh, this is what he's been using as, a, as the signal for the behavior. Right. Is there um, anything that comes to your mind? So I think it can be it can be very informative for people to see that you know you may think this is that but have you thought of this as the cue for the horse? Right. In a, in a sense, I always hate questions like this because when things are asked out of context, you sometimes don't <laughs> remember the story, and then later there'll be something that puts that some story together with oh you know there's a perfect example of that. What pops into mind is. An experience I had with Robin, and it was another one of these what happens if games that I was playing. And it was the middle of winter, so I had on layer upon layer of winter jackets. And I was seeing, well, what what is it, Robin, that you're really listening to? And, and I think I was working him at Liberty, as I'm recalling this. So I, I had various hand gestures that you know would you like to go forward and i would and i would move my arms and and so i was really seeing well 
at what point does he respond to me? What do I really need to do in order to get this horse to give me the response that I'm looking for? And it turned out that it wasn't the arm gestures at all. They were just, that was just window dressing for me. That, that helped me to, to remind me what it was that I was asking for. So I've got all of this, these hand gestures and I'm wondering what is it that he's really responding to. And remember, it's the middle of winter and I've got layers of jackets on. And what I'm finding is it's not my arms moving it's when I take the beginning of a breath. So when I just contract my abdominal muscles ever so slightly, Robin would give me the response. And I thought, how can this be when I've got, you know, my polar fleece and my uh, parka and my vest and, you know, all of this, this, these winter layers. And all I had to do was contract my abdominal muscles they are so perceptive exactly you know i was just i was reading in paul chance's book learning and behavior some research they have done with um pigeon who were taught to discriminate between paintings from picasso and paintings from monet yes i've seen i've seen that stuff well Yes. And then uh, they had pigeons discriminate between a sonata by Hindemith and a prelude of Bach. Yes. Bach, yes. You say yes. And they had some rats discriminate between spoken Dutch and spoken Japanese. Wow. Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah, I know. They are so, so perceptive. Yes. And that's really what we're using. We're, we are saying... These are, the, the animals are designed to observe the environment. That's how they stay alive. Yeah. It's not a question of is a pigeon intelligent, is a rat intelligent, is a horse intelligent. You know, we don't have to get into that discussion. Of course they're intelligent. But it's, they're designed to observe the environment. And they're designed to spot the changes that are going to lead to outcome, to good outcomes and that are going to help them to avoid unwanted outcomes. Exactly. And, and it's, not, it's, it's not just our behavior. It's the whole environment. And this is one of the reasons I can't wait for our webinar with Jesus because, you know, the strength of the behavior, it's not just due to reinforcement. It's also a function of how the animal responds to a change in the environment, in the stimulus conditions. The behavior is very sensitive to the context. You know, when you have your horse in the wash stall and you can walk all around him and do all these things, bend over, whatever, you bring him and you think, oh, he's so good at staying. Yes. And then you bring him, same person, same horse, just 12 feet from there in the aisle, and you can't do anything. He won't stay. He'll walk with you. Yeah. If you try to move away from him, he's coming with you. you he won't stay. And same horse, you're, you know, trying to brush him in the aisle, but it's not the same environment. No. I've heard Jesus give the talk on cues and context, and the first time I heard it, 
it's like one of those, oh, I have to hear this again. There's so much in there. And what's really fun with the webinar is mm. that as he goes through it, that we can we can ask questions, which I just love. You know, we can, it, so we're not. Yeah, well, I'm going to have questions. <laughs> I'm going to have lots of Yeah, we're not under the time constraint that you're under when you're doing a, a conference presentation where you've got whatever it is, 90, you know, 60 minutes, whatever it is, that if there's something that we need to expand on or that we really need to chew over more or or that's that where there's an interesting tangent that we want to go chase down, we can do it. And yeah. this one, I, Dominique, you are going to you're going to love this talk because it has you know how Jesus will he'll set it he'll set things up and you and you think okay this part I know this part I know. Oh, I'm not really, oh, this is getting, this is making my head spin. Mm. And then he goes along and then all of a sudden he gives you this sort of punchline at the end. Yeah. And you go, whoa, wait a minute. How, how did we get from there to there? But that is so cool. Well, this one is like that. It's, it's really neat. I can't wait. I know. You know, it's because it's so important for us to understand because we work so hard at reinforcing behaviors and then sometimes they fall apart and we wonder why. Right. And I think sometimes the answer is in the context. Right, right. You know, cues are in the context and the animal has learned that in this context, well, the signal means do something else. Right, right. And or that, that the cue is much more than what you are thinking of, which is usually the case. Right. There's a whole picture attached to the behavior. Right, right. And if something changes in that picture, well, it's not the same. That's right. So it's it's going to be a great webinar. And oh, I can't wait. Yeah, it's it's really fun. So as long as we're talking about it, we should let people know when and how they can they can attend it. So it's going to be on June second at two p.m. Eastern time, and they can go to our website equosity.com to register and to find out more about it. And if they sign up before June 2nd, they get the early bird price. And if you if you can't attend the live event or you're listening to this sometime after June 2nd, when it's too late to attend the live event, which is going to happen, if you want to hear it, we will be recording it. So you can go to our website and in the we've got a shopping cart set up now. Uh, we have a, a store on the website. It's quite amazing. <laughs> and we have available all of the webinars that we've done so far. So we have the webinars with, with Jesus. We have the webinars, uh, the webinar we did with Susan Friedman, the webinar we did with Ken Ramirez. Right. So you can listen to those. You can order them and listen to them whenever you want. I think I've watched all of them at least three times. Yeah, yeah. And I'm still, I'm still getting so much out of them. Yeah, and when you go back, you know, it's it, it'll be really interesting because after the cues in context one, it will be interesting to go back and listen to some of the early webin earlier webinars with Jesus because I'm sure we'll hear things in those that we weren't ready to process mm. when we heard them the first time. That is so much the case with all of this work. I know with my work, it is so layered. And the first time you go through it, particularly the first time you go through it, you're going through with what you 
know from other things. So like we've talked a lot about the rope handling in this afternoon's conversation. If you've done rope handling in other ways, you've, you've learned the style of rope handling that is part of some other training system. And that's, that's going to be your image of rope handling. And you may even have in your mind a picture of a horse who when you start using a lead rope, the horse's head goes up, his eyes uh, show alarm, his, his body gets tight because that's the picture that you've seen. And so when I, when I talk about rope handling, your brain immediately puts an equal sign to rope handling equals that distressed horse. And so everything that you hear and how you process what we're talking about will be filtered through that frame. But then as you have other experiences, maybe you, you listen to some of these podcasts and you try some things and you discover that some, this part of what we're talking about, oh, actually that that the horses really like that or you you know whatever it is you have maybe you have a Feldenkrais lesson and it begins to make sense to you how you can ask questions down a lead rope and gradually you you have life experiences that bring you more into the frame the the point of reference that relates to what I'm envisioning when I see somebody sliding down a lead rope. When I when I watch some of my clients who've been really learning and, and becoming really, really superb rope handlers, I always think I think of it like watching a Japanese tea ceremony. It's it's so meditative and just beautiful to watch, so elegant to watch. And and so when you encounter this work a second, a third, a fourth, a tenth time often you will see things in it that you you didn't see before. Well, it's a little bit like what you were saying. You know, the horse I'm working with today is not the same horse I was working with yesterday. Well, it's the same for us. The person who's hearing this information today is not exactly the same one who heard it the first time. That's right. Yeah, so we've, we evolved too, we learned too, and so we're not exactly the same. And so we, as we are hearing this work and spending more time with it, it's, it's ever evolving. That's right. And it's evolving not just in how it's received, but also how it's presented. Well, that's certainly true. I've been to all my clinics and and I'm slowly getting better at rope handling. I mean, I'm, I, I say that as, you know, I say it sort of as a partial joke, but it's it's not. None of this work is easy when you, you get past the initial stage of just basic safety. Of, I can now manage this horse and emotionally he's feeling calm and and, and we're getting along okay. And then you start to explore all the nuance and depth of it. And it, it's just, it's endless. It's endless. It's, it's, and that's what takes it into great art. How would we define art? And, and there's an art in great science. There's an art in movement. It's something we can explore with our horses through their entire life and still be discovering just magical moments and and connections and relate and and nuances that send you up in the stratosphere again and that just make you smile it's never 
it's never over. It's nope. never boring. It can sometimes be frustrating. Yeah, it can you know? be challenging, but right. that's usually a, a great motivation to go and hear people like Jesus to help us you know, right. work through our challenges and people like you. who right. Because the technology also is being explained in a better way every day, you know, it's it's still evolving. And so some of the instructions and that was very, um, I thought that was very interesting to hear you and Sarah talk about that, uh, you know, how instructions were given before and that the instructions are continuing to evolve. And it's great for a, us trainer because it's, uh, it's easier to yep. apply them when we understand them better. And we have these new ways of looking at them, talking talking about it, about them too. Yep, yep. There's always more. There's always more. But I think actually that this is a good point to end, good place to end, because there's always more. And no matter how long we, we talk this afternoon, what we know is there'll always be more to talk about. So, so we'll stop here and we'll invite everybody to join us for our webinar on June 2nd, and we'll pick up next time with another conversation. Have fun with cues. <laughs> yes, yes indeed. Bye. Bye.